Good morning. I figured out why I also like the hot weather in summer. Because the Camelonis are back. I really, Nick is back to join them. It's, it's great to have the full group here, blasting here, powerful. I like that. So you can do, you're allowed to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just one, and uh, the words of that song, just a reminder, you know, there's power in the blood because of the death of Christ. There's power. That we have it lives in us, the Holy Spirit, you know. And uh, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture today that... uh, I think will remind us, that song will remind us that we can overcome the world. We don't have to fall into the pattern that people fall into daily, including Christians. We live in a secular society. We live in a society that, it's, lots of times people think we're not in a Christian society, but we're not in a pagan society. A pagan society is a society that has not been at all influenced or touched by the gospel. But our society has been, our culture here in America, has been introduced to the gospel. It has been influenced. But unfortunately, over time, and the world working on it, which we've been talking about, the world, that, that system of evil that is powered by Satan... That has tremendous dominance and influence in our culture today. And because of that, we live in a post-Christian society, basically, because Christian influence is not where it should be in America. All you have to do is look at our laws that are being passed. And I won't get back into that, but between just abortion, the same-sex marriage, this and that, the influence of the world is creating our laws here as opposed to Christian values on this. So we live in a secular society, but before we go to that, I'd like to first pray, and then we'll look at our scripture for today. It's only one verse, just one verse. Father, your son told us that apart from him, we can do nothing. Lord, it is only the power of the Holy Spirit, of Christ within us. The Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, it is only with you in us, with us keeping in step with your Spirit, that we can be the people that you created us to be and recreated us to be in Christ. Lord, we ask for your spirit. We ask for that power from, from up above to come down, Lord, and to fill our hearts that I may speak your truth and that your people, Lord, may be open to the truth. And that all of us would leave here knowing that we have met with you, Lord. And we would know it because we have been changed. And we have been just maybe a little bit more conformed to the image of your Son, Lord. Which is our blessed hope that one day we will be like Christ and be with you. 
So, Lord, please bless our time now. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we've been going through John. We are in chapter 2. And today we'll be looking at the third verse in this little portion from verse fi- chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. We ended up taking a week on each, on each verse there. And today we'll conclude looking at this third verse, which is verse 17. But what I'm going to do is just read it quickly, those three verses, so we have again a reminder of the context we're in here. So it's 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 15. And probably I should say what the title of the message is, and I have to look because I don't think of titles of messages, but I did write one. It's, what is your goal, short term or long term? As I'm as I'm thinking about the message during the week, it's, it's constantly changing. So I, I finally have to give them a title. So this is the, basically what it's about. It's about are you living for short-term investment or long-term investment? Well, you always hear the financial commercials and things like that. You know, They talk about the short-term, investing in the short-term or the long-term. Well, today, this is what this portion of Scripture is about. Spiritually. Are we investing in the short term or the long term? So let's look at this verse 15, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Let me repeat that. That's our our text for today, the, the verse. It says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever forever do we believe that you don't have to you don't have to answer me but you can answer it in your heart and before God do we really really believe that or do we say well I think I do are we really more like the man who says I I do believe it but help me with my unbelief he said to Jesus because as much as we say that What's the proof that we believe this verse? Our lives. What do we invest our time in? What do we invest our money in? What do we, when we want entertainment or pleasure, what do we fill our our free time with? What do we view on the computer? All these things are the evidence if I really believe this verse, that this world is passing away. It's going to pass away. And remember, if you remember what we said about that term world, it's a system of evil. It's a system of sin. It's a system that is anti-God. It's opposed to God. And who is it fueled by? Satan. It's an evil system that is opposed to God and it has absolutely infiltrated our culture 
and the world. And when John talks about the world, yes, and even in those times, without all the extra entertainment and electronic devices and, and concerts and all those things, they struggled with the same thing. And when John's talking about the world, he's talking about the, the probably right here in, in this situation, those false teachers. Those people that bring in false teachings. And the false teachers were saying what? You don't have to stick to morals. Remember dualism? Matter is evil. Anything physical is evil. That's just what it does. And spirit is good. So we're physical beings. It doesn't matter what you do. You can be sexually immoral. You can engage in anything you want. It doesn't matter. Because when your spirit is released, you're going to be good. You know, and these are the kind of teachings, these, these, it was the early beginnings of Gnosticism. Like we said, it had to do with Docetism and Serinthianism. And that was the beginning. This is probably somewhere about 90 AD he's writing these things. And it only took the next, the next two centuries, it would blow up and be so big these teachings and people. And it was a struggle for the church. And we have a struggle in the church today, don't we? We can either be in the world or think we can be in the world and be in the church. You know, but doesn't the Bible make it clear? There are no fences to kind of balance on. There are no little lines to try, you know, when they, I guess they do those sobriety tests and they put a line down. Our li we don't judge by how we live by, you know, the Bible says you can't like try to balance on a line and say, well, I'm kind of in the world, but I'm also in the church. No. John is especially, I love the way John writes, he says, you're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. You either belong to Satan or you belong to Christ. You know, Paul says that too. What does is, what is Belial have to do with Christ? You know, sin and godliness don't mix. Now, we have a sinful condition, don't we? You know, we all have that old nature that's still us. And yes, there's not perfection in us. There will be one day when we're glorified. When we are finally glorified, we will be free of the presence of sin within us and in the world. Now, we're, think about it, we're in the presence of sin. We're in the world. That system of evil. But also fighting it is the flesh within us. So we look at our scripture today and it says the world and its desires pass away. There's two futures. You can. We have a choice of two futures. There's, or two destinies we could say. We can either go with the world and it's short term or we can go with God, do the will of God, and it says last forever. I want to <clears throat> talk a minute about our world. Just the world that we are in. And when I say the world now, uh, the world, yes, is that evil system, but it's also, it's also the culture we live in and what we believe are, in a sense, we can say our, our philosophy. 
everyone has a philosophy. I know probably a lot of you say, I don't want to, don't get into philosophy, don't get into that. Although, philosophy and religion have always been linked together. In fact, in the, the medieval times, theology was called the queen of the sciences. And her handmaiden was philosophy. But now it's almost reversed. The, the queen is philosophy. The system, all philosophy is is a system of thought. It's a world and life view that's put together. And we're in a culture where there are all types of philosophies today. One of the biggest ones, and you can, you know, you say, why do we have to think about philosophy? Because philosophical systems of thought deeply affect our culture and they deeply affect us. One of the biggest philosophies in our times right now is called existentialism. It was a system that started right after World War II. You know, before World War II, there was, a, 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 there was always that hope, you know, if man is educated and he gets well-educated and we can, the world can just improve and improve. And then we saw World War II. And especially when films started being re revealed of like Buchenwald and Auschwitz, these concentration camps, man started to see the condition of man, what man is capable of doing. And it created this dark cloud over humanity. Man was seeing what he was capable of. And especially in France, they started. Men like, like John Paul Sartre and Albert Camus and the German Martin Heidegger. These men started creating a system of thought, or a world and life view, that, and it's hard to, it's hard, one of the hardest philosophies to define is existentialism because it's basically anti-system. It's allergic to systems, this philosophy. But if you try to break it down, what it says, basically, just to give you a little idea, is that life is meaningless. There is no purpose. We are just accidents in a random series of, of things that events that take place. There's no purpose to it. We're just, in a sense, victims to our existence. In fact, it was, it was Martin Heidegger, who he, the German existentialist, who he used the word geworfenheit. In German, he would say it's geworfenheit. In other words, we're just literally hurled or thrown into this meaning existence. And he said, therefore, there's this underlying uh, anxiety that mankind has. This underlying feeling of insecurity always, because we know as going way back, the beginnings of this was actually in the 19th century with uh, Frederick Nietzsche. This is like the, the roots of existentialism. And then by the time World War II starts, it explodes in that movement. And Nietzsche had a phrase he called das, das Nichtige. That meant the nothingness. Because Nietzsche basically was saying too that there is no God. It was Nietzsche who said the death of God. He wrote uh, also Zarathustra, <laughs> which meant also spoke Zarathustra. And it was the story, and it talks about the death of God in there, how with all the pantheon of gods, and I, I won't take time on that, but 
Anyway, these are the roots of it. And it all gets back to one thing. Life is meaningless. And the only one who really experiences life is moment by moment. Think about in the 60s. I remember I had a friend who uh, went to, to Northeast, Northeast University. And he was like a, a pretty straight guy as far as his, his views on things. And he went away to Northwe- Northwestern. And uh, I remember he came back on a Christmas break and he called me. He said, Walt, you want to get together? And by then he had gotten caught up in the, the hippie movement at that time. And I mean, I had long hair too, but he was like really into the hippie movement. He was into the drug culture. I mean, he was dropping acid and he was telling me how great you can, you know, you, you drop acid and then you put on some like the, the cream or Led Zeppelin of these groups and you can actually see the notes bouncing off the speakers. You can see them. And if you remember that whole thing of LSD, you know, dropping acid, People were jumping out of windows. They were hallucinating and they were getting flashbacks and things. But he comes back and he starts to talk to me about just these experiences he was with, have experience having all the time. And they were all these immoral experiences. Totally, he went off the deep end. And one of the phrases he kept using was, hey, Walt, if it feels good, do it. And that's the first time I really heard that phrase. It was just, if it feels good, do it. And think about it. Think about the whole existential movement I'm talking about. If there's no meaning or purpose to anything, what is the only thing you have? If it feels good, do it. Moment by moment, existential. You know, my my whole meaning of existence is at the moment. That's what it means. And... In a sense, I was thinking about this week because when you think of John, what he's writing, he's saying the world and its desires pass away. That is a meaningless existence. Without God, there's no purpose. Think about that. When you remove God, you remove all meaning and all purpose. Why not live like an animal? Look, if tomorrow we discovered that Christianity was a hoax and they uncover this whole plot that it was fake, we might as well live like animals. Do whatever feels good because the hedonistic view is what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Why? For tomorrow we die. And see, the only rub there is they say they why not cause then there's nothing ah but that's not what god says is it god says you continue to exist only you're going to continue to exist in a, in a in a state of torment to make up the justice for all that you have you have sinned against god we do have a god and we do have a purpose and i mean and I, I, I won't go any further with that, but I just, you see this type of system in thought. Now, my concern is, we as Christians, do you find yourself, you say, I'm a Christian, I have the values of, of what the Bible, but do you flirt with the world? Do you, once in a while, uh, 
you go a little bit to the edge. It's a little bit exciting maybe. Maybe you listen to things you shouldn't be listening to. You look at things you shouldn't be listening to. You maybe start to talk to somebody and find there's a little too much excitement there or it's, it's not going the way it should. There's not, that, that's, there's not that barrier between somebody. You know, or you, how about the way you spend? Do you spend to continually gratify the desires you have? Do you find that money for you is just continually trying to fill that void? Because maybe you're living like an existentialist, you know, and it feels good, spend it, you know, just spend and not try to uh, think about the long-term investment. And uh, let's look at it. It says, the world and its desires pass away. Now, we know that this physical world is not evolving. It's what? Devolving. It's, it's burning out. We know that. The second, it's the second law, I think, of thermodynamics. Yes, entropy. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to get confirmation of my facts here from someone. Okay. Uh, and that basically says that the universe is winding down. And we as people, aren't we winding down? Anybody over 30 here, don't you notice it? Have you noticed it yet? You are devolving, you know? We are slowly. I'm, I feel like sometimes I'm starting to compost. I'm at that stage. I mean, I'm just, you know, we start to break down. We're not made to last, neither is the universe. And Isaiah, in, in 34.4, I believe, he says, you know, that the stars in the heaven are going to dissolve and the sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll. That type of language is used when we get to Revelation chapter 21. We just went through that in the men's ministry and you know what? I never do this. I'm going to give a commercial. If you're a man, I encourage you to come on Saturday morning. The, uh, there's, it's a wonderful time of fellowship and studying God's Word. We'd, we do a verse-by-verse -verse study of the we're doing right now, Revelate. We've been in it for a year and a half. We have either one or two more, depending if on chapter 22 we're going to be. And we just went through the New Jerusalem, but the reason I'm mentioning that is because we just went through where it says the old earth and heavens, you know, God removes them and a new heaven and earth come like that. And the Bible makes it clear that this earth is going to be changed. There's going to come a time when Jesus comes back and this world is going to be gone. In fact, I'm, I'm going to read you something. All right? And I'm, I'll tell you what it is afterwards. Okay? It's from the Bible. I'll give you the verse after. I just want you to listen. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We've heard that before. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That message again that this world is fading away. It's not permanent. 
since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Boy, that's a good reminder, huh? Put your perspective. It's Peter, and he's saying, think about this. How should you live knowing that this is not going to go on forever and ever? You might be living it up and just saying, ah, I'm going to have a good old time. You know, but there will come a time where it ends. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward. Are you looking forward to the day of the Lord? How often do you think about Jesus is coming back, really? Isn't that something as Christians we should consider every day? Shouldn't we consider Jesus might come back this morning? Because it tells us he's going to come like a thief in the night. A thief, he's just... You don't know when the thief's coming, Jesus said. If you did, you'd be ready. But we're called to be ready. Are you ready? If Christ came right now, would we be ashamed? Or would we be just ready to, to hear, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Then Peter goes on. Again, he says, he says that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's our hope. The world is in our hope. Now, when John is talking about this, he's talking about, quote, the world, that system of evil. But the world itself, we live like this world is going to go on and on and we're just going to keep buying what we want and enjoying what we want. Not so. Not so. It's going to end one day. And when John here, and that was, by the way, that was 2 Peter uh, 3, 10 to 13. I don't want you to think I'm just reading from some... Uh, <laughs> find Mad Magazine in front of me here or something. I don't want you to do that. Okay. It, uh, anyway, although as a kid I used to enjoy Mad Magazine. I liked Alfred E. Newman. I don't know. It's, it was a long time ago, though, folks. Okay. Uh, anyway, he says, the world and its desires pass away. Think about that. That the system of evil itself, what is the sa Satan who was at the the helm kind of driving this whole system. What is his future? What does the book of Revelation tell us? He's going to be cast in the lake of fire. It's going to pass away because Satan is going to be put in the lake of fire. It says his demons, those angels, the demonic angels who are demons, are going to be put there. And who else? All those who refused Christ all those who were against God so that whole system is going to disintegrate but look but the man who does the will of God lives forever again I'm going to ask you do you really believe that do you really believe you're going to live forever that everything Jesus said. And you know, we struggle with that, don't we? I always think of John 14, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, the night he's arrested. He says to his disciples, he says, 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. They were troubled because they knew he was leaving them. He told them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Then he says, in my Father's house, heaven, are many rooms. But what does he say after that? If it were not so, I would have told you, he says. Why does he say that? Because they're not sure. Jesus is basically saying, you can believe me, guys. This is fact. It's truth. It's not some fairy tale. It's not, you know, a once upon a time story that they all went to heaven. You know, people think that way. And people in the world think that. They tell, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, the dog will die. And they'll say, well, you know, Mitzi is in heaven right now. It's cute to tell a child that, but they don't believe that. But they say, we want to comfort. But we as Christians know it's true and we have that comfort. We know that those who have gone are in heaven. That's comfort. And that we one day will be there too with Christ. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some cute thing you tell to a kid, you know, to make them feel better. It's reality. It's rea and if, if we don't believe that, then I guess we don't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> you know, I mean, how much clearer could Jesus make it? He's gone. He says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to die for your sins. And he's back. And we have eyewitnesses. You know, something that holds up in court, eyewitnesses. So why don't we take it like they take it in court? It's that somebody gives an eyewitness. That's powerful like that. But he says, the man who does the will. Well, what is the will of God? You know, people ask that a lot, don't they? I want to know what the will of God is for my life. If you want to know what the will of God is, the Word of God contains the will of God. Everything you want to know that you need to know, that God wants you to know about His will for your life, is in there. That's how we learn. You know, think about uh, all these verses we read. You, you read uh, Ephesians 4.18. You know, 5.18, I believe. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that the will of God? He's saying, don't engage in things that you know, cloud you up and are going to lead you to sin. And that phrase, as most of you know, means a continual feeling. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes back to the flesh of the Spirit. And he's saying, get in the Spirit. Don't. Don't go to the ways of the world. You know why? Because debauchery is going to pass away. One day, it's not going to be around. You know, but we will be around. The will of God. Anything, even when, I'm just trying to give you some random scriptures. Think of the will of God. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, he said. Think about that. That's the will of God there, saying, I want you to be self-sacrificing. I want you to give of yourself. When Jesus says, Any, anyone who comes, goes, come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the will of God for us. You want to know the will of God? Look at the Word of God. That's how we know what the will of God is. And then he says, does the will of God lives forever? I want to end with this. Jesus 
Jesus said, do not, get this out of my way, okay. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in. Now notice when he says that. He's saying that because it's, those things are temporary. He doesn't say where moth and rust can destroy or moth and rust might destroy. He says where moth and rust destroy. He says it's temporary. It's a fact. You know, you are, if you're a, a car of uh, buff and you have your 57 Chevy and it is absolutely meticulous and you park it in four spots when you go to the shopping center, a mile away from the shopping center, and every time you get out and go, look, and the tires, and, and if you enjoy that, that's okay. I'm not trying to be, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But guess where that's going to be? 25, 50, 100 years, guaranteed 100 years from now. Where's it going to be? It's going to be in the junkyard, rusted, it's going to be a piece of garbage. Something that seems so valuable to us. Isn't it weird the way we put value on things? I remember as a kid with baseball cards. I used to, you know, we used to have Mickey Mantle. I remember having Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra. This was in like 1962. We used to scale them against the walls and hit them again, break the things. Now they're worth, you know, a fortune what we put value in, right? It's, it's, it, it's weird, you know, or a bottle of champagne is of a certain year and it's, you know, worth a thousand dollars, you know, to have because it's 20 years old or something. It's value. It's, we put value on, on things that are silly. But Jesus says that don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, guaranteed, you know, or where thieves break in, guaranteed. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, he says, where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. I want to share this, uh, an illustration of this. I, uh, I asked permission for this this morning from, I don't know how many of you remember Ramon, who, was, who is Ralph and Terry's son-in-law, married to their daughter Christine. When Ralph was living, uh, Ramon was living here for a while with Christine, with uh, Ralph and Terry and the baby. And during that time, he was coming to the men's ministry, I remember. And I got to know him. And I remember one day he said, Walt, he said, I just got a job. He said he was looking for a, a job in the meantime. And he said, I just got a job. I'm going to be a car salesman. For a new for a car dealership, I won't say which one. And and he was talking. He said, and "It's a good opportunity financially, and this and that." And I knew Ramon enough where I felt comfortable to, to talk in his life for a minute. And I said, "Ramon, I said I have I I just I want you to be aware. Just think about this as a car salesman. And if you're a car salesman, I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying you do this, but I said as a car salesman." As a Christian, it's a tremendous temptation. I said, because you have the opportunity many times you're going to have to make money. As I knew a Christian car salesman, you're going to have an opportunity to make money 
And you're going to want to almost be tempted to say things that maybe necessarily aren't true. Because, well, I could, if I get this sale, I'm going to have a good check this week. And my, my, my wife and my kid, this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing it for the family. And you can justify a million reasons why if I'm just going to exaggerate a little bit to, and this will get the sale. Can you feel that tension that you, as a, as a, especially anyone who's a salesman and a Christian, what a difficult position you are in. Anyway, he went for the training, and then I saw him the following Sunday. He said, I'm starting the job this week. I went through my training. I said, good. I said, and I think we might have said, just, just remember. Anyway, the following Sunday, I see Ramon in church, and he comes over. And I said, Ramon, how did it go the first week? And he said, I quit. I'm going to get emotional. I'm sorry. Because it just, it touches me that he, what he did. And I said, why? Why did you leave? And he said, because they wanted me to lie to get this sale. And I looked at him and I said, this guy gets it. And I remember hugging him and saying, God will honor that. You know, as Christians, this is the way we should live. That day, Ramon didn't store up treasures on earth. He stored up treasures in heaven that day. That's how a Christian stores up treasures on earth. And he wasn't doing it to store up treasures. He was doing it because it was the right thing and it honored God. And he literally said, he said, they, there was a car. He said, if I, if I was to sell this, the people had questions. He, they, they told him, in fact, he, went, he, he said to the manager, he says, what? He says that you're telling me to lie. And he said, yeah. He says, you want to get the sale. And, and I remember him saying, he says, but I can't lie. You know, that's the struggle we have. And he conquered that. And like I say, Instead of putting treasures on earth, he stored up treasures in heaven that day. That he honored God, and God honors him as well by that. God remembers those things. And it's funny because I just found out from Ralph and Terry this morning that uh, Ramon and Christine, they moved to Arizona. They just got Texas, Texas, I'm sorry. And they just got their approval for their license, for their business, of opening up a nursery school. And, you know, God takes care of us. He honors those things in the end. And not always it mean, does it mean that everything is going to go the way we want or we're going to be financially bad. He might have struggled his whole life financially. But you know what? His treasure is in heaven. Let's ask ourselves, are we living in our society for the here and now? Getting back to our philosophies, the, the uh, view of, the, they call it the hic et nunc, the here and the now. Do you live for the here and now and store up for yourself treasures on earth? Or are you living for the future? Because Christianity is a philosophy of life and eternity. Christianity looks past this moment and looks to the future. We're living for the future. We live here and now and we enjoy what God gives us. But this ain't it, as they say in the vernacular. This is not it. The future is where it lies for us. Let's 
live as people who do the will of God. John said, he said that the world and its desires pass away. He said, but the man and woman who does the will of God lives forever. Let's not lose sight of that. Book of Hebrews told us that all those saints, those Old Testament saints, they were looking ahead and they died while that promise was before. They didn't see the fulfillment of that promise. And we might not in this life. If Christ doesn't return, that promise isn't going to be fulfilled yet. But it will in the future. Our hope is in the future, not the here and now. And ask Carl to lead us in our next song. Okay.